0: Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Ellen Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice, but together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bayless Seabrow and welcome to the definitive rap where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official podcast of vinnews.com. We are now three weeks since the Muslim Brotherhood Iran-backed Hamas terrorists from Gaza fired 4,000 rockets into Israel. We are now approximately two weeks since the Israeli Hamas ceasefire took place. What we are now dealing with, however, is the aftermath. In a normal world, reporters and pundits would accuse Hamas of declaring war on Israel. Israel responded harshly, but only targeted specific areas of Gaza because, as former British military commander Richard Kemp has testified repeatedly, the IDF is the most moral army in the world but we are not living in normal times. In America, the activists who would rather defund the police and fight crime would rather defund Israel than fight radical Palestinianist and Islamist terrorism. We expect biased reporting from the typical media outlets, but now we are getting expert commentary from so-called late-night comedians. Our special guest today, Shahar Razani, whom Bela will introduce shortly, responded to Trevor Noah via YouTube. In a nutshell, Trevor Noah, the so called comedian, not wanting to discuss history or facts, just wanted to make the claim that the side with the higher casualties holds the moral high ground. This past week, the New York Crimes, the paper that covered up the Holocaust and opposed the creation of the modern state of Israel in the 1940s, recently ran a front page story of children dreaming of becoming doctors as victims of Israel's barrage of firepower. Once again, they were caught fabricating pictures, and of course, they left out that many of these kids were killed by Hamas' own rockets that failed to fire properly into Israel. I am afraid this is just the beginning of what Jews and supporters of Israel are going to have to confront. From media outlets, to academia, to student activists, to the halls of Congress, the Iranian-backed terror cells who support Hamas now have a foothold in America. Bela?
1: Thank you, Alan. So a bit more of a background for our listening audience regarding some of what we are covering today. Trevor Noah, the host of Comedy Central's The Daily Show, caused outrage over his anti-Semitic rant about the Israel-Palestinian conflict. Actually, it was on Tuesday, May 11th, when Noah told millions of his viewers that Israel should minimize its response to the thousands of Hamas and Islamic Jihad rockets being fired at Israeli civilians. Making matters worse, he compared the situation to a scuffle between himself and his little brother asking, quote unquote, as a person who has immensely more power, I had to ask myself whether my response to this child was just or necessary. Could I find different ways to deal with this? This is not the first time Noah has publicly expressed his anti-Semitic views. In 2009, he tweeted anti-Semitic images, stereotyping Jews as wealthy and other disparaging commentaries. With us today is Shahar Azani, who responded to Noah's rants and took him down for what he has said. Shahar is a leading pro-Israel activist in the U.S. and a former Israeli diplomat. He is Senior Vice President at JBS, Jewish Broadcasting Services, and was formerly Executive Director for Stand With Us Northeast Region. He served as, as an Israeli diplomat at Israel's Foreign Ministry for over 15 years in London, Los Angeles, Nairobi, and as Consul for Media Affairs and Spokesperson at the Consulate General of Israel in New York. Shakhar, welcome to our show.
2: Pleasure to be with you.
1: Trevor Noah is an example of a celebrity who freely spreads anti-Semitism without any qualms. Is this the new normal that celebrities have no reservations, criticizing the state of Israel without worrying about ramifications? When did this become okay? In what universe did it become okay to use TV and social media to spread hatred of the Jewish people? Please explain this to our audience. And also, we would love to hear about your famous reply to Trevor Noah.
2: Well, uh, thank you very much for um, you know, the question because it leads us to a very important point that is usually goes amiss, which is the issue of fashionability. It becomes fashionable to say words like free Palestine, free Palestine from the river to the sea without really knowing what you're talking about. And I think a great example, we saw uh, about a year ago on Bill Maher's show on HBO, he hosted the uh, American singer, John Legend. And they were, you know, they entered the discussion. It was around the time when Ilhan Omar came up with, it's all about the Benjamins, of course, which is a political statement, not anti-Semitic, of course. And in the course of that discussion, um, John Legend says, you know, speaking, it's a progressive talking point to stand up for the Palestinians and speak up for them in uh, in the U.S. And he was asked by one of the panelists on the show, um, what do you think, what's your position on what's happening in Venezuela, on the execution of demonstrators on the streets by the government? And John Legend was very sincere and honest in saying, I don't know much about Venezuela, but I keep on hearing the words Israel and Palestine, so, you know... So without knowing a thing, he tells you that just because it's popular and it sounds good, then this is something I'm gonna I'm gonna carry. This is something that we see the media carries, this is something we see prevalent on social media. And then here is the really boggling thing. You see all of these demonstrations, some of it are called peaceful, some of it. And in these peaceful demonstrations of smiley people holding hands, you see them also holding signs. And those signs say, free Palestine from the river to the sea. And they're still called peaceful because those useful idiots who carried those signs have no idea what the the meaning of the expression is, free Palestine from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which is a clear-cut call for the annihilation of the state of Israel, for ethnic cleansing Of Jews from Israel and for outright genocide. And then they have the chutzpah, the audacity to call out against supposed genocide and ethnic cleansing while carrying signs calling for that cause. Exactly. That shows you the level of ignorance that exists out there that I think we all here now and in general try to counter with our outreach work.
0: Right. So, Shachar, one of the big problems, and I've been saying this for a long time, is that uh, we are bringing a squirt gun to a cannon fight. Uh, We are outnumbered as far as even numbers go. Uh, There are 1.4 billion Muslims in the world, and there are at least 20 to 25 percent of them who hold these radical Islamist and Palestinian viewpoints. Uh, That means you're looking at almost 300 million people, and their voice is united. It's too uh, delegitimize and, as you said, dehumanize Israel. And the the recent attack against Israel four thousand rockets did Hamas really think that this that this time they're going to drive Israel out? No, it's intentional to drive a propaganda war. They got what they wanted. They they hit Israel. Israel retaliates, and then the propaganda war begins. And it's whether it's on TV, Trevor Noah, as you point out, these idiots as are useful idiots. But now you have members of Congress who intentionally use words like ethnic cleansing, apartheid, genocide, crimes against humanity. These are intentionally um, used words to inflame people and to drive a propaganda narrative. And when you have people like Chuck Schumer, who boasts of being the most powerful Jewish Democrat in Washington, terrified to respond, we have a problem. If the best they can do is say we condemn anti-Semitism, but you can't call out these four squad members, and by the way, it's a lot more than just four voices, who slander and blood libel Israel, we have a problem.
2: I think that the key word of what you just said, Alan, is propaganda. And I just want to stress that point for all of our viewers and listeners. When words are being used like ethnic cleansing and genocide and war crimes and crimes against humanity, they all have one meaning and one goal. To dehumanize Israel, dehumanize Israelis, and dehumanize Jews. To tell people, you know, they're not like you, those Israelis. They're evil, and that's why they deserve the kind of fate that they do that they deserve because If they were human like you and I, they would never behave in such a way. These lies and propaganda machine has already led us down the moral abyss into humanity's lowest ever point only a few decades ago with the industrialized annihilation of the Jewish people. And here we are sitting and talking about the same kind of propaganda and slogans again as we look around us. And what did we see? We saw an attack not just on the Jew among the nations, that is Israel, with thousands of missiles that miraculously, we should say that, miraculously had such low impact because can you imagine missiles being uh, uh, targeting indiscriminately? into civilian population in the hope of mass murdering people? What are the chances? What kind of favor we got through Iron Dome and and beyond that allowed Israel to defend itself in such a way? And yet at the same time, Jews themselves were beaten on the streets. Let me remind you how the latest round started. It started when Arab youth in Jerusalem attacked Jews and filmed it on video to share on social media. Go fast forward through the war and you see similar images in Berlin, London, in Los Angeles, and right here in New York, when Jews were beaten just because they looked Jewish, that is a direct result of the process of propaganda and dehumanization that we have gone through. There is a cost to those expressions that we hear on Twitter, on TikTok, and on social media. And you are absolutely correct in demanding not just condemnation, or statements of support, but downright action and a very strong action against anti-Semites and against anyone who participated in lynching Jews anywhere because action is needed in order for us to prevent us from going down this slippery slope. I just want to mention one more point about Trevor Noah and not just Trevor Noah. We've had John Oliver on HBO doing the same thing and telling us what? Telling us that, you know, not enough Jews died. We need to see some more Israeli blood in order for me to say that you deserve this kind of protection and, and, and your right to defend yourself because otherwise I'm going to come and tell you that this is disproportionate. And I, I want to take you down Memory lane for a minute, because for me, uh, standing up for Israel is not just a concept. It's about names. It's about people. It's about individuals who lost their lives in this battle and may not have a voice, but I, we have an opportunity to be their voice. One such person to me is uh, a young girl, forever young, by the name of Ayala Bekassis of the city of Sderot that suffered tremendously as a result of Hamas's missiles. And this was in January of 2005. When she was walking home Saturday night from a youth movement activity, making her way home with her younger brother around eleven at the time, Kamir, and she was um, as she was walking, she heard the shrill of an incoming Hamas missile, and she knew what was coming because they were already accustomed then to that kind of harsh and cruel reality, unacceptable reality. And she immediately hovered over her brother and covered him with her body. As the rocket landed a few meters away from her, a shrapnel hit her. She went to the hospital and passed away a few days later. The entire people of Israel were praying for her and were standing by her bedside with that heroic image, that image that is seared in my mind forever of her father and that child, her younger brother, standing by her grave and blowing the shofar. A few months later, and here is another fact that John Oliver, Trevor Noah, and others very easily forget or tend to set aside. A few months later, in that year of 2005, Israel withdrew completely, utterly, and wholly from the Gaza Strip. Israeli soldiers had to take away Israelis from their homes where they had lived for decades, businesses that they had built, economic viability, blooming businesses of, you know, fruits and vegetables and ingenuity and creativity and real beauty of connection with the land. And they were evacuated from Gaza in the hope of, of something, in the hope of creating something viable, of giving Palestinians a chance to create an entity of their own and the direct result was hamastan a terror state now there is a message here because israel at that point was told and israelis were told oh you know we've done everything that we were asked we took our people out we evacuated the gaza strip now we have the full legitimacy to defend ourselves now if anything happens we have the full right to stand up against those who are uh, attacking us and what happened the grand betrayal of Israel, where Israelis are mesmerized, looking at the world today, bewildered, completely aghast at what they're seeing as an international onslaught against the rights of Jews in Israel to defend themselves. And that is unacceptable. And that is not just relating to Gaza, because even now, when you talk to Israelis about the West Bank, and you think about doing something even slightly similar in the West Bank, the immediate question is, are we going to allow another Hamasthan in the West Bank only a couple of miles away from Tel Aviv? And can we really rely? Or We know the answer we can't rely. We can't rely on international media, and we can't rely on the international community. And I think that message should reach the ears of those leaders and anybody who expresses an opinion on this matter.
1: Yes, absolutely. Shachar, we know that anti-Semitism is not new. Just yesterday on June 1st was the commemoration of the 80th anniversary of the Farhud pogrom against Iraqi Jews. Baghdad, where 850,000 Jews had been murdered in what you appropriately tweeted, ethnic cleansing. I haven't seen much media attention about it. It's it's almost like it has become politically incorrect to bring attention to the murder of Jews. Why is it so hard to stand up to what is right, to stand up against anti-Semitism, to stand up against murder of innocent people?
2: A very, uh, a very just and true question that I think should echo in everybody's minds. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so rare, few and far apart, that we see celebrities and others who come to the front stage and say, anti-Semitism is unacceptable. How could it be again that only a few decades after the Holocaust, it becomes unacceptable to stand up against Jewish suffering that only few like comedian Elon Gold and and, uh, actor Josh Gad have come out forthrightly and said this cannot happen. We stand strongly against it. And why don't we hear more voices? And you're mentioning the Farhud in Baghdad in Iraq, a terrible, a terrible occurrence. I've spoken with survivors who went through this. And here we are living the Jewish reality again of pogroms against Jews, not just on the streets of the US, but even within Israel in the mixed cities where Arabs attack Jews just because they're Jewish. And this um, this ignorance relates not just to what happened in Iraq, my grandparents came to Israel from Yemen and like so many others, so many other Jews and Jewish communities from all over the Middle East, close to one million people who were ethnically cleansed from their homes, whose property was looted. So many of them dying at the hands of their attackers or on the way to safety, made their way in this grand ingathering of the exiles. All of these refugees absorbed in Israel to build the amazing Israel that we have today. And yet, you can even mention them. Because whenever the word refugee comes to the front of any kind of panel or media or discussion, it always has to relate to the Palestinians as if these Jews never existed. Well, they did exist. And we are here to utter their voice. We are here to make sure that their memory and their sacrifice is not forgotten, but forever upheld, because the conscience of the world cannot be kept quiet in the face of their suffering. We will not allow it.
0: So, 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 Shachar, there's one big problem with what you just said, that people like you, people like me, we think that the truth matters. And the truth is not the issue here. This is a propaganda war. Um, two years ago, maybe it was a year ago, Rashida Taleb from Michigan says that her ancestors welcomed the Jews from Europe escaping Nazi Germany only to be displaced by the Jews. And not one person stood up and said, no, your ancestors were colluding with Adolf Hitler and the Nazis to exterminate the Jews. Your ancestors warned the British, if you let any more Jews in, we're gonna blow up your buildings. And there's another issue at hand here. With all of the Arab, Palestinianist, and Muslim groups, they all have one united voice to end Israel's legitimacy. Whereas we Jews, and there's a saying, if you have three Jews in a room, you'll have four opinions. We have many different types of Jewish groups. We have those who are unapologetically pro-Israel. We're in the minority. You have many Jews who are who support Israel, but they're apologetic. And then you have those Jews like J Street, like Peter Beinart, like if not now, who tell the Democrats, "You go ahead, you beat the hell out of Israel, abandon Israel to the UN, you call for defunding of, of Israel, and we will and we will give you cover." Uh, several weeks ago was J Street's convention every speaker accused Israel of occupation and thanked J Street for supporting progressive values. Peter Beinart is the most evil person. Uh, you know. In the Haggadah story, we know about the wicked son. That's who he represents. So we Jews are not united. So we are fighting many, many battles on many fronts and we can only go so far. Truth is not the issue here. It's a matter of how we unite with one voice and we hit back as hard as we get hit or we're more proactive. But for us to just wait until we're attacked and delegitimized, to me, does no good. It doesn't do us any good to show a picture of blacks, Jews, Christians, and Muslims riding the trains together in Mahane Yehuda when no one cares. I,
2: I want to tell you something uh, about this, Alan, and I think it's very important for all of our viewers and listeners who are also hear. First of all, you're right; the, are the challenges immense? Absolutely. The fact that we have a fragmented community, the fact that we're unable to come out with a unified, simple message—not just in times of crises, but also in times of quiet—to come out with a clear message that echoes. Who we are and what we stand for, not just as Israel, but as a Jewish people as a whole, is absolutely essential. And we're paying a heavy price in international media and in public opinion because of that fragmentation. Because you know, as well as I do, what incredible diversity we already have within Israel. The differences of opinion, the differences of parties, the Israeli politics that couldn't be more vibrant, more vibrant than any other political system we see across the world. Unbelievable. Amazing. That idea of, you know, having two shoes, you know, for two two Jews, three shoes, that notion of that diversity in politics and beyond. It's what sustains us. It's what, what makes us who we are. And yes. We have a great challenge with those from amongst us who come out to supposedly be, you know, wearing their Jewish identity with pride, but actually stabbing the Jew among the nation in the back by undermining our very legitimacy. But I want to tell you something else. Look at Israel. If we use the same terminology, when we look at the challenges we face in public opinion and and the kind of realities that Israel as a country faced at the time and continuously facing, How much of a faith realistically would we have in Israel's ability to prosper? And yet, when you look at Israel today, you understand that Israel has that secret sauce that out of necessity comes this great drive of invention and ingenuity, not just in the fields of defense and security, but also in civilian spheres. And that is downright inspirational. And that hope and inspiration is what has carried the Jewish people for thousands of years. That that is exactly what brought us to reestablish our country in our homeland after thousands of years of exile where Jews came. Think about that miraculous moment from all over the world. And you know, I just had a conversation uh, with Israel's ambassador in Geneva. I asked her, I said, listen, you sit there in the belly of the beast with a UN Human Rights Council, fighting the bias, the discrimination, the double standard, the ridicule that this UN Human Rights Council is. How do you do it day to day? And she tells, she looks at me with a smile and she tells me, you know, Shachar, it's the work we do here every day, not just with the council, but with a variety of international organizations that work here from the World Health Organization to the Maritime Organization to telecommunications, to even uh, 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 patents and technology. And we're making a difference every day. And you know what? outside of the sphere of the geopolitics of Israel and the Arabs or Palestinians, the tremendous respect that the nations of the world have for Israel. The last resolution, by the way, for the first time passed at the World Health Organization, just on the same day, on Friday, when the UN Human Rights Council passed its own ridiculous resolution, was co-sponsored by 50 states, was accepted in consensus, unanimity, at at an international organ. There is a lot that's happening out there, not just in the field of media and public opinion, here in the U.S. I've been an Israeli diplomat for many years. I have seen Israel performing in Africa, in Asia, in parts of Europe. I have seen the respect people have for the Jewish state. I urge you, Alan, I urge everyone to continue doing the work that we do, to continue speaking up our truth, because all of these forces working against us, they want us to despair. They want us to look at the same Peter Beinart voices echoed again and again and again that the New York Times brings for, you know, guest columns in this conniving way of telling us Zion doesn't deserve a state or deserves to be eradicated for us to lose faith. But this is one thing we will never do. We will never lose faith because if there is one thing that I personally can tell you I feel is immense gratitude for who I am and for what we're able to do today. Because I have the zchut, the privilege to stand up for my state and my people after thousands of years where my ancestors didn't have a state to stand up for and had to suffer the consequences as a result. The third temple shall not fall.
1: Thank you, Shahar. You wrote a fascinating piece entitled My Brother's Keeper when you mentioned how the ICC, the International Criminal Court, made headlines when it confirmed that Palestine is a state party to the Rome statue, extending the ICC's jurisdiction to Gaza, the West Bank, and also including East Jerusalem. Shortly thereafter, the ICC's prosecutor announced that she would launch an, investiga- an investigation against Israel regarding Operation Protective Edge, Israel's defense war against Hamas Gaza missiles in 2014. Please tell us about that.
2: Well, you know, this this goes hand in hand with what we're seeing at the UN Human Rights Council. These um, resolutions, even though they don't have any practical, immediate ramifications, they have a goal. And I go back to what Alan said about the propaganda war. Once you make these voices heard continuously, every year, every few months, these anti-Israel voices... Even though each and every one of them does not have an immediate standing or impact, together they become what you call international customary law. In the same manner you've seen in the last few decades, the anti-Israel resolutions that come up at the UN General Assembly every year. You have dozens of these resolutions, and they're voted on automatically against Israel. So even though the General Assembly Resolution in and of itself has no immediate impact, it becomes this this amorphic body of evidence that then is taken to the International Criminal Court, where the International Criminal Court, by the way, against the descending opinion of the Hungarian justice, if it needs to be stated, says, you know, there is enough here to uh, suspect possible war crimes, just like the resolution said for the UN Human Rights Council. So now we have the legitimacy because look, these are resolutions that have been accepted for decades. So there is enough here to go on to launch an investigation against Israel. This is why it's not meaningless. This is why our fight against propaganda is not meaningless. It has a significance long-term. And I want to say something else. The battle, and I want to talk ICC, but also UN Human Rights Council, is significant not just for Israel, Think about this. There is money going into... This attack on Israel. When the Council accepted its resolution on Friday, it means a budget of anywhere between five to eight million dollars a year because they decided on a continuous mandate. It's not going to end their investigation. And those millions of dollars are going to be used for travel, for those uh, Human Rights Council personnel who are going to try and come to the region to investigate when Israel is not going to collaborate with a biased organization. There is nothing that's going to come out as a result, aside from more propaganda against Israel. And these are funds that are taking away from people who need help. There are other humanitarian causes around the world of people who require assistance, people that are so easily distracted, forgotten by rogue regimes who control the agenda. So Iran doesn't want you to talk about what's happening in Iran, the mass execution of youth, LGBTQ and others. They want you to remain focused in Israel. But all of this money is taken away from poor people in Darfur, the attack in Kabul just at the beginning of May, taking the lives of hundreds of schoolgirls one Muslim against another. What are we to think? That the world doesn't care about Muslims killing each other, but only if a Jew is involved? Hundreds of schoolgirls were massacred in in this violence between Shiites and Sunnis. So I urge for a very clear position on transparency and accountability. By the way, called for by the Trump administration when the Trump administration came to the international organs and said, you either do your job or you're not going to get funding. And they did so with UNRWA. And that is a position that must be respected. And for all those who claim that it's because of the personality, we cannot look into the policy. That's wrong. Even if you may disagree with the personality, you have to look into the policy and say, is that a right and correct thing to do? And when you take away money from the mouth of hungry people in Africa to feed the circus of abuse and hypocrisy at the UN in Geneva, this is wrong because the money belongs to all of us taxpayers who fund those international organizations. And that is not an Israeli position. That is a human position. That is a just and a right position.
1: Shahar we have one more minute left. Um, so just, uh, just to finish off, with all that is happening with the new rise of anti-Semitism, which is being inflamed by celebrities of the entertainment industry, what can people do? We are no longer living in an era where we are sheep being led to the slaughter.
2: No, we do not. You know, there is going to be a link for this interview, Right. And that's exactly what people can do. They can take that link and share it. They can speak up. They can make their voices heard. You know, social media works both ways. And I have seen, I've interacted with young students from high schools who reached out to me via Instagram and said, you know, Shachar, we've watched this. We want to do something. And you know, one of them did in the course of the war against terrorist Hamas organization in Gaza. And thank you, Alan, for reiterating that point. Every time reiterating that point of a terrorist organization in Gaza. Reached out to an influencer who has millions of followers who posted Free Palestine. And she wrote to him on Instagram and said, you know, that offends me as a Jew because there is a wider context to the issue. And the result was that that influencer took down their post. They didn't put up a post of Golda Meir, that's fine, but they took out, they took down the post that they had calling, you know, against Israel because they understood that the issue may be a little bit complex. So what I would say is keep on fighting. Make your voices heard. Do not relent and do not relax because we have, again, a privilege, a schut to stand up for our people and our country to make sure that this doesn't happen again.
0: Thank you for Shachar, giving me, thank,
1: thank you, you for, for me joining physics. us today on The Definitive Wrap. <laughs> thank you to our listening audience for tuning in and to VinNews.com for our show being their official podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to The Definitive Rap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.